Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. There was a time when me and my older brother attended um, elementary school together. And our elementary school was really close to our home, right? So we would walk to school together and we will walk back home together. It literally took us like maybe five minutes, if that, to, to you know, one way, right? Um, but one day, you know, my parents bought my brother a BMX bike. So once my parents got him this bike, um, he started taking me to school and taking me home on this bike, right? We couldn't drive cars, obviously, because we're elementary school, but my, my parents got him a bike for Christmas or a birthday. Um, you know, and I thought it was really cool because BMX bikes, if you were from maybe in that, in that time, that time period, that sounds really old, right? But during that generation, BMX bikes uh, were the thing, right? They're really cool. So if you had one, it was like, wow, that's a really cool thing. So I felt really cool because my brother had it, he was taking me on it, and we're traveling on his BMX bike. But unfortunately, you know, one day we were playing Street Fighter 2 at the liquor store and he, somebody just stole the bike. Well, what are two elementary kids doing at a liquor store alone playing Street Fighter 2? I have no idea, but I think we can agree that times have changed, right? Um, but that's beside the point. I remember one day we were at school and when the school ended, my brother was rushing us home. And I was like, why are we going, why, why are we like trying to go home so fast, you know, like um, why don't we just kind of take it slow and just kind of go our normal pace, whatnot. But my brother was rushing us home and I asked him like, hey, and I call him young, right, older brother in Korean. I said, hey, uh, why, why are we going home so fast? Like why, why are you in such a rush? And he told me, I need to grab my progress report before mom does. And I had, you know, at that time, I think I was too young, I didn't understand why that was so important for him to grab the progress report from the mailbox before my mom did. Later I found out that it's because, you know, he was trying to get the progress report, open it up, and then if he saw any unfavorable grades that his teachers gave to him, he was gonna use a blue pen. I remember he had a blue pen and then tried to change the grade to something that my parents would be pleased with. You know, once I started to get progress reports in school, um, I start to feel anxious, and I was a little bit worried because I shared before, I didn't always do too well in school. There were years where I did well, and then there were years where uh, I just didn't do too well. You know, those years, it kind of seemed like the alphabet for me started with the letter C. And I never had the guts to go home to grab the progress report and change the grade. Number one, I was too scared that I was going to get caught. Number two, I just did not have the skills to do that, right? I never had the skills to kind of forge my parents' signature, and I didn't have the skills for sure to change a grade on a progress report. And the only progress reports that actually I would feel a bit comfortable with or confident in uh, were the ones that the school would give in the beginning of the semester because, you know, quite frankly, we would all kind of start with A's, right? There's not much going on in the beginning of the semester. So those are the ones that I wasn't too worried about. You know, but if I remember correct, correctly, and those of you that are educators, you know, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. 
the progress reports actually played an important role in allowing you know, teachers, the students, and the parents to track how well the student is doing throughout the semester or the school year. The progress report was, able, was, was uh, playing that role of you know, letting everyone know what areas or subjects that the student may be doing well in, um, but also subjects and areas where the student may actually need a little bit more help in, right? may need to improve on the grades. So the progress reports, you know, it, it, was, it allowed us to look at where we were um, and then to make the necessary changes to improve our grades before we received our final report cards. So in a way, the progress reports were helpful in the long run, right? But for those of us that may have grown up in an Asian household and our parents are a little bit strict, um, although they helped out in the long run or are supposed to be helpful in the long run, we maybe experience some immediate consequences. Why am I even sharing and talking about progress reports? You know, as, as I was reading and studying and meditating upon this passage in, prepare, in preparation for today's message, um, there's one thing I kept finding myself doing, and it was reflecting and assessing myself. In a way, I was writing a progress report for myself on how I was as a follower of Jesus Christ, but more specifically, how I was as one of the spiritual leaders of this church. And while thinking and praying to God and asking Him, God, what do I share with our congregation today? It came to my mind that maybe God is wanting you and me, maybe God is wanting us to reflect and to assess how we've been doing with what God is going to be revealing to us today through His Word. So in other words, kind of writing a progress report for ourselves. So church, I want to encourage you, instead of just listening to what's being shared today, you know, I encourage you to reflect to reflect upon the word or the words that God is going to be speaking to you today from today's passage. And my prayer is that as we reflect upon our passage in the word of God, as we reflect upon the things that God may be speaking and revealing to us, that we will both be challenged and also encouraged. You know, today we are in the last chapter of 1 Peter. And it's in this last chapter that Apostle Peter gives some closing exhortation to three groups of people in the church. One, it's to the spiritual leaders of the church. Number two, it's to the members of the church. And then three, it's to everyone in the church. So we'll break this sermon up into three parts. First, we'll look at what Apostle Peter Paul exhorts the spiritual leaders to do. Secondly, we'll look at the exhortation he gives to the members of the church. And and last, thirdly, we are going to look at the exhortation that he gives to all of us in the church. 
But first, let's look at the exhortation that Apostle Paul gives to the spiritual leaders. He says in verses one through four, he says, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flocks. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's a lot going on there, so I'm just going to break it piece by piece for you. Peter opens up and he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. The elders here are referring to the spiritual leaders among the community of believers. But notice here that Peter says he exhorts them as a fellow elder. Who is Peter? Peter is an apostle. An apostle is not a title given to anyone or everyone that wants it. It's actually a position and a title that Jesus Christ personally gives someone. He's an apostle. On top of that, we see and we know that Peter kind of stands out as one of the prominent apostles as well. He, he was part of Jesus' inner circle, Right? And he's a man with great authority, great respect in the early church and even in today's church. Peter, as an apostle, could have easily said, he said, he could have easily said, I'm the apostle Peter, and I command you to do these things. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't flex his position. He doesn't flex his title And he doesn't flex his authority in exhorting these spiritual leaders. He's not coming to them at this point as their superior. Rather, he comes alongside of them. You see, the word exhort there, when we see it in the Greek, actually means to, yes, to encourage and to urge, but there is an image of someone coming alongside of you, encouraging you, urging you, and spurring you on. So here, as we read, as Peter exhorting the elders as a fellow elders, he's coming to them in humility, And he's encouraging them in humility. Apostle Peter at this moment is modeling the humility that he's soon going to be asking them to also do. And we see that his humility, that Apostle Apostle Peter's humility is actually rooted in the humility of Christ. Because he says he's witness Christ's humility through Christ's suffering as well as through his service. His humility is also rooted in the fact that he is also going to share in the glory that is to come. We read that in verse 1, or at the end of verse 1, Apostle Peter says, as your fellow elder, and then he writes, and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. You know, one thing I've come to realize as a pastor is that people are more receptive when I first come down to, the le- to their level 
rather than trying to speak into the life from a place of position, authority, or even pretense. You know, it's when I approach them or it's when I approach the situation with humility and not pride or even entitlement. And I believe this is what Apostle Peter is doing here when he establishes himself as a fellow elder. And as he does that, he then goes on to exhort these spiritual leaders with two exhortations. One is to shepherd the flock of God, and two is to exercise oversight. First, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. As leaders of the church, as spiritual leaders, one thing we need to understand is that the members of the church are God's flock. They are his people. And because they're God's flock and because they're people that belong to God, we are to cherish and value them as such. You know, I apologize if I've shared this story already, um, but, you know, there was a time when me and Deb were dating and we got into a big fight, right? And, you know, God spoke something to me so clearly. I remember it was a Friday morning. It was a Friday morning. We got into a fight. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was probably being a jerk at the time, right? And, and this, is, this happens, and I, I go outside of my car, and I'm making my rounds, picking up youth students, right, in Orange County to take them to church. And I remember, I remember waiting in front in my car, uh, waiting for one of the youth students to come out of the home, and, and God just spoke so clearly to me. And he said, Tav, Deb is my daughter. She's precious to me like a precious gem. Treat her as such. It was so clear to me. I was so convicted at that moment. It made me realize that Deb being, uh, more than Deb being my girlfriend or my significant other, Deb is first and foremost the precious daughter of God. And I was to treat her as such. And even to this day, God is still reminding me time to time and keeping me accountable of what he's revealed to me and spoken to me that day, especially when we fight, right? You see, the members of Rooftop Church are first and foremost the flock of God. They're the people of God. And those of us that are spiritual leaders in this church, it would be important for us to keep that in mind, and that includes me as well. And Peter says that the elders of the leaders of the church are to shepherd the flock of God, and they were to shepherd the flock of God out of love for Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. If you remember in John 21, right, Apostle Peter, you know, he denies Jesus three times. He falls, and he goes back out to what he was used to doing is fishing, Jesus goes and he restores him. At the end of John, John chapter 21, we see Jesus asking Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And each time, Peter responds by saying, you know that I do. And every time Peter responded that he loved Jesus, Jesus responds back by saying, then tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. 
So out of love for Jesus, those of us that are spiritual leaders in this church, we are to shepherd the flock of God. But what does it mean to shepherd? You know, I'm reminded of Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we read about the Lord being our shepherd. And there are three main functions that I see of the shepherd in Psalm 23. First, the shepherd is to feed their sheep. The psalmist says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, in Matthew 4, 4, it says that man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. As leaders and under shepherds of this flock, we are called to feed the flock of God with the word of God. Meaning it's our responsibility and our task to faithfully preach, to teach, to share, to instruct, and to encourage, and to convey what God says in his word. You know, I would even say that this is the primary role of the spiritual leader in the church, to spiritually nourish the members of the church with the word of God. So one, it's to feed Second, it's to lead and guide. The psalmist says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. You know, Scripture says in Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As spiritual leaders, we are to lead and to guide the members of the church according to the will and ways of God found in the very word of God. And as a psalmist says, he leads me or he guides me in the paths of righteousness. It is our responsibility to guide the members of the church to walk with God, to fellowship with Jesus, and to walk according again to his will and his ways found in his word. So it's to feed the sheep, it's to lead and guide the sheep, and then thirdly, it's to protect the sheep. The psalmist writes, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, John 10, 10, Scripture says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Church, we have an enemy. We have an adversary. We'll find out later at the end of this letter that there is an enemy prowling around looking to devour us. The enemy is going to try to use any and every tactic that he has. The enemy is going to try to use every circumstance, every hardship, every difficulty, every failure in our lives to attack and to destroy our faith. So with that in mind, it is our responsibility as spiritual leaders of the church to do our best in protecting the flock of God, the people of God from the schemes and the lies and the temptations of the enemy with prayer and with biblical counsel, instruction, teaching, preaching, sharing of the word of God. So again, just to recap, what does it mean to shepherd? It means to feed the sheep. It means to lead and guide the sheep, and it means to protect the sheep. Peter also exhorts the spiritual leaders to exercise oversight, meaning they are to oversee the members of the flock to assess their condition, to assess their condition for the purpose of what? For the purpose of better feeding, of better leading and guiding, and for the purpose of better protecting them. 
exercising oversight, you know, the spiritual leaders are going to be thinking about and looking to see if there are certain areas of the congregation that may need extra help or care in. One of the reasons why we invited, or Peace God invited Dr. Jessica Lee uh, to speak on the topic of marriage is, is because as a spiritual leader, he felt that it would be helpful, and I think it is, and I think it's a great opportunity for us, but it's going to be helpful for us to know what it means to have a healthy marriage according to the Word of God. So again, the shepherd exercising oversight, they're going to look in, you know, for certain areas where we may need help in or that we may need extra care in. It also means that the, the shepherd is going to be looking for maybe certain members in the flock that may need extra attention, that might need extra care. They're also looking to see if there's a certain direction that God may be leading us into in this current season. They're also looking to see if there's anything that we as the people of God need to be aware of, things that we need to be wary of even, right, to be kind of be on alert against the sins and temptations, the, 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 the works and the ways and the lies of the enemy. Exercising oversight also means that they're going to be looking to see if there's a message that God may be wanting to speak, reveal, and convey to us, and there's other ways to exercise oversight, right? But the purpose of exercising oversight or overseeing the sheep and the people of God is for the purpose of caring for the congregation. But you see, Apostle Peter not only exhorts the leaders on what they were to do as under shepherds of God's flock, but he also exhorts them in, on how they were to do what they were called to do. And Peter states the how with three contrasting statements. Number one, he says this. He says, you are to shepherd God's flock and you are to exercise oversight, number one, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. He's saying do it because you want to not because you must. He's saying don't just fulfill your duty, but desire to fulfill your duty. He's also saying here to the shepherds or this, to the, spirit, the under shepherds, spiritual leaders, he says don't be lazy, but be diligent in shepherding the flock and exercising oversight. So one, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Second statement, he says not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. The spiritual leader is not to perform their duty with an impure or selfish motive to gain something, such as wealth, fame, popularity, acceptance, power, etc. Rather, the spiritual leader is to be willing and eager to shepherd the flock and exercise oversight for the congregation simply out of love for Christ and love for his people. And the way we can think about it is, is the motive here is to give rather than to gain. And thirdly, the third statement, he says, not lording it over, but proving to be examples. I'll just make this one very simple. He's saying spiritual leaders are not just to tell the members what to do. They are to be examples first. Or in other words, the spiritual leaders are to practice what they preach. 
You know, for the last five months, um, I've been sharing with our ministry team leaders the foundational values that I would like for them to implement into their ministry teams that they're leading. You know, yesterday we went over the foundational value of care, and I share with them the importance of caring for those members that are part of our ministry teams. Now, church, imagine with me that I'm sharing with them, I'm telling them, hey, it's important for you to show and to express care to your team members, but I'm not exemplifying or I'm not caring for them. You know, they may still care for their team members because they're good and godly people, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're not as motivated or compelled to care because I'm not first exemplifying that to them, right? In the same way, imagine me preaching this message in this sermon, right? And I'm asking you to, hey, reflect and be mindful of the things that God is saying, but I'm not practicing that first. I don't think you would be as compelled or motivated to do what God may be calling you to do, looking at me as a bad example, right? So in verses one through three, we see Apostle Peter, he exhorts the spiritual leaders on what they were to do, which was to shepherd the flock of God and to exercise oversight. We also see him um, telling them how they were to do this, and they were to do this with diligence, willingness, and by example. In verse 4, he now tells them the why they should do what God has called them to do in the way that God has called them to do it. Apostle Peter says in verse 4, this is from the message translation. He says, when God, who is the best shepherd or the chief shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that you've done it right and commend you lavishly. Why do we faithfully shepherd and exercise care or oversight over the flock of God? It's so that we can be commended by God. It's so that we can please God. It's not so that we can please ourselves or to please those that we serve and please those around us, but it's to please God and God alone. It's so at the end of the day and even at the end of our life when we see Jesus face to face that we will hear Jesus say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. And this is why we are called, and this is why we faithfully shepherd and care for the flock of God. You know, as we've seen now in verses 1 through 4, Apostle Peter exhorts the spiritual leaders to shepherd the flock of God, to exercise oversight with diligence, with willingness, and by example, for the purpose of pleasing God and being commended by God when he appears. Apostle Peter had a lot to say to the spiritual leaders in the church. But now you, he also has something to say to the members of the church. And this is what he says in verse 5. He says, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. We can read the term young men in reference to both men and women that are part of the church or that are members of the church. 
And the exhortation that Apostle Peter gives to the members of the church is to be subject or submit to your spiritual leaders, the ones that are shepherding you, the ones that are exercising oversight with diligence and willingness and by example. This is the one exhortation he's giving the members of the church. The question I would like to ask is this. What has God been speaking to you, or what has God been revealing to you in the past year through your spiritual leaders? What has God been saying to you through the instruction, the counsel, the sharing, the teaching, and the preaching of God's word by our spiritual leaders. Kind of maybe take a minute, take a moment to think about that. What has God been speaking to me through my spiritual leaders? What has been conveyed to me this past year? As you think about that, I'm going to throw another question out. And this question I would like for us to reflect upon. The question is this, how well have we been submitting to what God has been speaking to us through our spiritual leaders? Whatever words, messages that God may have been conveying to you throughout this past year through our spiritual leaders, how have we been or how have we been doing in submitting to the word that has been conveyed to us. Again, simply put, what has God been saying to us through our spiritual leaders, and how well have we been submitting to what God has been revealing to us through them? Something for us to reflect upon, right, including myself. Now, let me ask you another question, church. A lot of reflection questions today. Not only submission and subjection to what God has revealed to us through our spiritual leaders, But how well have we been supporting? How well have we been encouraging and honoring those in leadership? And leadership is not just talking about, you know, our pastoral staff, but it's talking about our block leaders, our ministry team leaders, our board, our children's staff, and teachers that are faithfully shepherding and leading your children. How well have we been expressing appreciation, gratitude, support, honor, and encouragement for those that are leading and exercising oversight so diligently, willingly, and by example? Can I tell you something, church? To spiritual leaders, yes, we are given a specific role and responsibility to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. But one thing I would like for us to keep in mind is that those in the roles of spiritual leaders, we're also sheep. We're also sheep. There's only one true shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. We all belong to the body of Christ, as Scripture tells us, and there's only one head, and that's Jesus Christ. With that said, church, there are moments when the spiritual leaders, yeah, we hurt too. We get discouraged too. We experience pain ourselves. There are moments that we're down and we're going through challenges and hardships too. How well have we been supporting, encouraging, honoring our spiritual leaders that are shepherding us 
and exercising oversight so diligently and faithfully. It can be a simple text, a letter, an email, a call, just expressing that to them. You know, I appreciate our ministry team leaders, and I'm very humbled by them. As I mentioned before, one of my primary roles here at church is to oversee the operations of the church, which means that I'm also overseeing the ministry team leaders. You know, all of them, they're, they're wiser than I am. They're smarter than I am. They have more experience than I do. They could probably do a better job in leading than myself, and some are even older than me. But you know, and despite my shortcomings, despite my inexperiences, and despite just the lack of wisdom that I may have, they still show me honor as one overseeing them. For example, they show up to the monthly meetings that we have. Saturday morning, you want to, you want to sleep in maybe, but they're there. They, they meet they perform the tasks asked of them, right? They consider the inputs that are sure with them. They faithfully lead their teams. And time to time, they even reach out and say, hey, PTAV, great job today. Hey, PTAV, thanks for leading the meeting today. You know, they don't reach out and say, dude, this guy is dumb, right? At least they haven't said that to my face, but anytime that they reach out to me and they send me an encouraging message, it's, it's uplifting. And it's like, for me, I'm like, dang, I'm so humble that they would even support me, that they would honor me in this way despite, despite my lack of. And it's even, even when I make a fool of myself, they still honor me as one overseeing them. And I'll give you an example. This happened, this happened yesterday. Right? In each of our past meetings, you know, we've been playing a trivia game. There are two teams in, in, in our group, in our ministry team leaders, and each time I, I you know, give them some trivia questions, and if their team gets it correctly or answers correctly, they get five points. At the end of the year, the team that has the most points gets a prize. Anyways, one of the trivia questions yesterday was, was this. What is your body's largest organ? What is your body's largest organ? If you know the answer, please feel free to write it in the chat box and say, this is what it is. If you get it wrong, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You won't be as embarrassed as I was yesterday, okay? What is your body's largest organ? Feel free to, to type in your answer. Well, someone said it's the epidermis. Although the answer was correct, um, I told them that it was incorrect because I had no idea that the technical or medical term of the skin was called an epidermis. Now, thank God that they didn't make fun of me, but I did see a lot of them laugh, right? You know, church, let me be the first one to confess that, yeah, as leaders of the church, we are imperfect, yeah, we have full of, we're full of flaws, we have shortcomings, we have definitely areas that we can grow and improve in. Sometimes we make a fool of ourselves, or maybe that's just me. But you know, out of submission and reverence and love towards God, I believe God is exhorting us as members of the church, and that includes me too. Why? Because Pastor Scott is my pastor. He is my spiritual authority. 
right? I believe God is exhorting us as members of the church to submit, to support, to encourage, and to honor those that are faithfully, again, diligently, willingly, and by example, shepherding us and exercising oversight in care. Amen, church? Unless we're asking to do something sinful or unbiblical, don't listen to that. But I think when I look at our leaders, I do see them faithfully giving the best they can to lead their team, their blocks, their classes, this church. God is exhorting us today to submit, to support, to honor, and to encourage them. Apostle Peter then closes off this passage by giving a final exhortation to everyone in the church. We talked about the spiritual leaders of the church. We just talked about the members of the church. Now he gives another exhortation to everyone in the church. In verse 5, or the end of verse 5, he says this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter says, all of you, spiritual leaders, members of the church, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. He's telling the spiritual leaders, as you're exercising oversight, as you're shepherding the flock of God, do it with humility. In the same way, he's telling the members of the church to clothe themselves with humility towards those in leadership and everyone else to one another. And notice that it says, clothe yourselves. You see, humility is not something that I can do for you. Humility is not something that you can do for me. Humility is a decision that we need to consciously and intentionally make on our own. But what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to clothe ourselves with humility? Let me give you a couple of examples. It means to be mindful and considerate of others and not self-centered. It means to be seeking the good of others and not just the good of ourselves or our own good. It means to be willing to become lowly and not think highly of ourselves for the benefit of others. It means that we're patient and that we're gracious to others. It also means that we acknowledge that we can't do this on our own strength, our own understanding, and our own wisdom, and everything that we got. It also means that we are to serve others. You know, one of the best examples of a person clothing themselves with humility is Jesus Christ in John chapter 13. Jesus being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and the savior of the world, willingly wraps a towel or clothes a towel around his waist. And this church is actually an act of a servant. This is an act of a slave. He's come down to a low position to do what? To wash the feet of his disciples. He was doing this to show an example of what he was calling his disciples to do to one another and to others that are around them. 
Jesus even says in Mark 10, 45, he says, I did not come here to be served, but I came here to serve. You see, church, essentially to clothe ourselves with humility, it means to clothe ourselves with Christ. In other words, it's a calling for us to conform more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And this is what Apostle Peter has been saying to us from the beginning of 1 Peter all the way to the last chapter of 1 Peter. It's for us to live a life that exemplifies the life of Christ. It's to be more like Jesus. Now, with that said, church, spiritual leaders, I talk to you right now. How well, how well have we been loving, serving, and caring for the members of the church in the way way that Christ calls us to and in the way that Christ does? And likewise, members of the church, how well have you been serving and loving and caring for those that are in leadership and those that are around you and one another in the way that Christ calls you to and in the way that Christ does? You know, this pandemic has been challenging for many, if not all of us, in one way or another. It was easy for us to become stagnant. It was easy for us to become complacent. It was easy for us to simply focus on self while not considering others. But you see, it's during these most challenging times that we are called even more to clothe ourselves with humility, even more to seek ways to love, to serve, and to care for one another. Let me remind you, Apostle Peter is writing to Christians at this moment who are facing a great persecution, and he's saying to them, you need one another. This is a time and a moment you need one another because there is an enemy, there is an adversary who's going to come and attack you. He's going to try to destroy your faith. And this is a moment for us as spiritual leaders to shepherd the flock, to exercise care faithfully. And it's us as members of the church to submit, to honor, to support and encourage those in leadership, but also for all of us to love and to care and to serve one another. How well have we done that? How well are we doing that? Something for us to reflect on. I'm going to close soon, but I want to answer this last question. Why should we clothe ourselves with humility? Why should we clothe ourselves with humility? Why is this so important? Why is God calling us to do this? Because he says... Again, at the end of verse 5, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we want God to oppose us, we just simply need to remain prideful, remain proud. But if we want God to pour out his grace upon us, he says we need to clothe ourselves, every one of us, with humility. I don't know about you, church. I need and I want God's grace in my life. I can't continue on without his grace for me every day and every moment of my life. I need and I want the grace of God. In our church, we need the grace of God. 
Not for God to oppose us, not for God to resist us, but for God to continually pour out His grace upon us so that we can be the church that God calls us to be. So we can be the church that impacts this world. So that we can be the church full of His disciples, loving one another. In that way, the world is going to see and know that we are the true disciples of Jesus Christ when we clothe ourselves with humility. Why is this important? Because God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. That's the key That's the main point of today's message. If you don't remember anything else, just remember this last sentence. Spiritual leaders, members of the church, everyone in the church, clothe yourselves with humility, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen, church? How's your progress report looking? How are you doing in the department of shepherding the flock, exercising care faithfully, willingly, diligently, and by example? How about in the department of us submitting and honoring, supporting, encouraging those in leadership? How about in the department, how are we doing where we're called to clothe ourselves with humility, right, and and, and to care and to love and to serve one another in the way that Christ has exemplified to us? How are we doing, church, in the department of becoming more like Christ? Does it look like we're becoming more like Christ, or does it look like we're kind of going back to maybe our old selves, right? You know, as I said in the beginning of this message, I reflected a lot. I had to assess myself, and I felt like God was speaking to me and say, Tav, these are the areas that, okay, you did okay in, but here are areas that you need to improve and to grow in. It's a humbling experience for me to say, dang, God, I should have done better. Dang, God, I could have done more. But great things about progress reports, it's not the final report card. But it's an opportunity for you and for me to simply reflect and see, okay, I'm doing okay here, but maybe there's an area in my life that God is kind of pointing out, say, hey, this area needs to change, or this area you need to grow in, or this area need help in or improve on. Our final report card's coming when we see Jesus Christ face to face, but I thank God for his grace that he sends us multiple progress reports, allowing us to see and to reflect and say, God, we need you. God, I need you. God, I'm humbling myself, and I'm saying, I want to be more like you, Lord Jesus. So I encourage you as I close today, church, may we clothe ourselves with humility. May we be more like Jesus Christ in caring and loving and serving one another in humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble.